0: ha ha you dream hey hey Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Today, with Hashem's help, we are going to conclude this remarkable chapter of Tehillim, this remarkable psalm, Psalm 122. This is King David's ode to Jerusalem. You know, that's a bit of a gross oversimplification, but that's, that's kind of what's going on here. David HaMelech is speaking about Yerushalayim and he shares with us really quite incredible things about our holy and eternal capital. Now, if you might remember, the last time we were together studying this chapter of Tehillim, we talked about peace within. And today, we're going to be talking about my brothers and my friends, because as David, as King David, continues to pray for peace within, he kind of qualifies this. He says, I'm not praying for myself. I'm praying for the sake of others. The last two psukim, the last two verses, of Psalm 122, verse 8. L'ma'an achai says, it is for the sake of my brethren, or literally brothers, for the sake of my neighbors, or my friends. Adabrano sholem I ask that there be peace within you. Now the word adabra literally means to talk. David el talks of peace, but he's talking to Hashem. This is a verbal prayer. And the verbal prayer, the entreaty is being given ear as he expresses himself to God, not for the sake of Jerusalem, but for the sake of Brethren and friends, or neighbors and brothers. What does that even mean? Who is neighbors? Who is friends? Who is brothers? Who is brethren? Who is David Amal talking about? In verse 9, he continues along the same trajectory, and he says, Hashem, Not just for the sake of souls, but rather a structure, a sacred structure, the house of Hashem. I request, I ask or seek goodness for you. So King David prays on behalf of some people. We haven't yet identified who that is. And he prays on behalf of a house, of a structure, of an edifice. Either one that has not yet been built or one that has already been destroyed and will be built in the future. So how do we make sense out of this? (laughs) Why is it better to pray for a house that isn't extant when you can pray for a city that actually exists right now? Over the next hour or so, we will solve these mysteries. I think that when you will hear the incredible teachings of our sages that are connected to these verses, you will be uplifted and inspired. But there's only one way to find out. (laughs) you got to stay with me. So I'm going to remind all of you who are joining, uh, shalom back to Boca Raton from Rani, and it's good to see you, Valette. Anybody who's joining now, I just want to remind you that you can ask questions. And I do periodically glance at the screen, and I will try to read the questions, and respond in real time to the best of my ability, with Hashem's help. And if you aren't yet subscribed, please. This is a, a good opportunity for me to remind you that I'd be grateful if you would subscribe. YouTube.com forward slash Robbie Mendel Kaplan. You're watching, so you've got there somehow. And if you subscribe, please enable notifications. All right, my friends, let's dive into this. So, where, where do we begin? We begin with Rashi. Rashi. He's he's our He's our main man. So Rashi says, Lama'an achai verei." They speak here on behalf of on behalf of my brothers and friends, my brethren and my neighbors. So Rashi says, Lama'an for the sake of for the sake of Israel, for the sake of the nation called Israel. In other words, David is praying on behalf of the Jewish people. And King David calls us his brethren, his brothers. The only reason we'd use the term brethren rather than brothers is because brothers is male, masculine in nature, whereas brethren includes both men and women. Of course, David Hamelech is not praying for one gender over the other. He's praying for the Jewish people, children, women, and men. Which is why it's usually translated not as brothers, but brethren. So Dover HaMelech prays for us, on our behalf, for our sake. It's as if he is kind of issuing a, a, a statement to his subjects. He's telling us that the real Melech, the real king, never thinks of himself. The real king... The true monarch thinks only of the citizens, and that's who David is praying for today. Now this is this is uh, the way Rashi puts it, and he says, "Adabra, no, I am speaking, I'm talking, Ani, I, David HaMelech, King David, the monarch is speaking. Shalom bach what I'm seeking is peace in you. This is a." Uh, a prayer that embodies the humility and the selflessness of king david and his dominion or leadership his kingship was marked by a renouncing of what was good for him and a focus instead on what was good for the nation hi Shomil. now the even ezra gets a little more specific. He says, that's, that's like very, it's very broad. You know, if he's talking about brethren, he's talking about uh, friends, why wouldn't he just say for, for the entire nation? Even Ezra maintains that he's focusing in, on an element on the, of the Jewish nation. And this is what he says. He says, Lema'an means levakesh shlomcha, I seek out your peace ba'avur achinu ha for our honored brothers. And he refers here to the Kohanim, the priests. And the priestly caste or tribe is accompanied by the Leviim, the Levites. And the Kohanim and the Leviim we always joined by pious members of the nation of Israel because you can't bring an offering without the ba'alim, without the people who own this offering or who are bringing this offering without having representation. So there was something called ma'amadot. There were select members of the Jewish nation from across Israel who would go to the holy city of Yerushalayim and they would spend a week immersed in prayer and Torah study, doing nothing else to represent the nation. and They'd be there. They'd be present in the Beit HaMikdash when the offerings, when the daily korbanot would be brought. So the way the Ezra sees it, Dover HaMelech is speaking about the honored members of the nation of Israel or the honored citizenry of Yerushalayim. And he says, I'm not just praying for, for myself, but I'm praying for Achino and Achbadim, for our honored brothers, the Kornim, the Leviim, and Chasidius, the pious of Israel, Hadarim be who dwell in the holy city of Yerushalayim. Along with the words of the Ebenezer, I found it interesting that Rabbeinu Yosef Chiyun, as mentioned many times, he was the chief rabbi of Portugal, Rebbe, a teacher of the Abarbanel. He says something very similar to Ebenezer. He says, I'm not praying for you, meaning the city. I'm praying for the citizens. So it's, it's soul over structure. It's not a municipality. It's the people, the citizenry that he's concerned with. And he says, The proverbial children of Jerusalem you know, like the son of a city, the daughters of a city. So this is the inhabitants of Yerushalayim, and <laughs> B'Seichich, who dwell within you. So David HaMelech pays praise not for pavement, but for people. And that's the statement that he makes. Of course, Ashi sees this in a much broader context. I mentioned this um, a couple of episodes ago. Eli Wiesel famously said when the Jew comes to Jerusalem, it's a homecoming. Because in truth, every single one of us is ever linked to the city of Yerushalayim. So if you're going to pray for Bnei Yerushalayim, the children of Jerusalem, it's not just going to be those who have an address or a P.O. box in Jerusalem. Ultimately, that represents all of the nation of Israel, all of Am And this is David Amalek's message. He prays not for himself, but he thinks of others. Rabbeinu David Kimchi, Radak. Takes this in a bit of a different direction. Rather than say David Melach is praying in present for those who dwell in Jerusalem, and then lemaan base Hashem Elochinu for the sake of the house of the Lord our God, but base Hashem Elochinu has not yet been built. David Melach is praying for a future edifice. And it should be Tov Loch, good for you. Instead, Radak maintains that David Hamelach here is speaking prophetically on behalf of the exiles of Israel. As he says, Lema'an, Omar Kol Echod Each of the exiles is saying, He's saying, on behalf of my brethren, Israel, who has been exiled from you. It is on their behalf, that David HaMelech seeks out peace. What does it mean he seeks out peace? Not on behalf of the city, but on behalf of the citizenry. What he's saying is, they should come back to live in you. The Oid, furthermore, not only is he praying for a citizenry that has been exiled, for a nation that is bereft of their holy city of Yerushalayim, but he's praying, Liman Beis kenu. But there is no Beis kenu. If we're talking about the exiles, the house of Hashem lies in ruins. It's been destroyed. Indeed, says Radak, that is, of course, the case. And what he's praying for is Oid. Not only is he praying that the children of Yerushalayim will come home, For the city of Jerusalem, that her citizenry be restored. For the house of Hashem that is presently destroyed. I am asking of God on your behalf. So he's not praying for the pavement. Praying for people, <laughs> he's not praying for suck stru- structures. He's praying for souls. But then again, at the end, he is praying for a structure. But this is not an ordinary structure. That's the structure of the sanctuary, the house of Hashem. So he prays that it should be good for the house of Hashem. And as we will see later on in this episode, the welfare of the people and the welfare of the base are not mutually exclusive. Now, once we have the words of Radak, we begin to kind of evolve or move into an interesting direction. And from Radak, we'll take a look at the Mitzudot David. And he says the following. Laman, achai, Verei." This is no longer King David praying. King David prophetically speaks about the prayers that the exiles will offer. Ki kol echad is as if the exiles in their yearning to come home will say, lo It's not about me. It's not about because I want to come home. Bilvad. Of course I want to come home but it's not just about me. But rather, espalel al shloim I pray for the welfare of the city and I'm not just praying for the welfare of the city but I am praying for my brethren the entirety of the nation of Israel. So I guess the commonality here is that David HaMelech prays in a self-effacing, humble way thinking of others. In the way the Mitzudah's David sees it This is an echoing of the sentiment that will be offered by the exiles themselves who will learn or pray in the image of David HaMelech, not for themselves or not even for the city of Yerushalayim, but rather they will be thinking of the brethren, they'll be thinking of brothers and sisters, thinking of friends, thinking of the nation of Israel. And this is really interesting because we've learned in previous episodes that Yerushalayim represents... A sense of oneness, a sense of togetherness. Ir <inaudible> shechubra a city of togetherness, of oneness, where the nation was united. A city that wasn't owned by any particular tribe. Rambam, Maimonides in Morinavuchim, raises the question, why is it that the scripture alludes to Jerusalem but never points a finger at it? He says there are three reasons. He says, if Yerushalayim would have been mentioned, every one of the tribes would have been fighting over Yerushalayim. And that would not work. (laughs) Because the city of Yerushalayim has to be in the possession of the nation. Indeed, about Yerushalayim it is written, It was not divided amongst the tribes. He says, if the city of Yerushalayim would have been identified, the nations of the world would have done everything they could to prevent us from coming to the city of Yerushalayim because they would have understood that it is the secret, the soul of the Jewish people. And therefore, lastly, he says, it took the first the appointment of a king who would become an embodiment of the entire nation. You can't be a king over your tribe any more than you can't be a king over your family. If you are to be a monarch, then the meaning of your monarchy must be inclusive of the entire country. You cannot be a monarch for your friends, for, for your affiliates. You have to think of the whole nation. So only after there's an appointment of a melech then we can have Yerushalayim. In other words, everything about Yerushalayim is linked to oneness, to coming together for the Jewish people. And what's the biggest problem? What gets in the way of oneness? Who gets in the way of oneness? Let's find the culprit. Look no further. Just look in the mirror. Me and you, we get in the way of oneness. Because as long as it's about us, why should I give? Why should I make room for somebody else? It's about me. Get past yourself. The call of Yerushalayim, if we are to heed it, is to stop thinking about ourselves, our own parochial or specific needs, and instead to have a broad perspective, a national perspective. Think of the greater good of the nation of Israel. When you pray for Yerushalayim, don't pray, I want to come home, I want to see the city of Yerushalayim at peace. Pray for the sake of Am Yisrael. That's the essence of Yerushalayim. It would make, if this is all true, very little sense for King David to pray for a city unless it was for the sake of the United Nations. It would hardly be reasonable to say that Davar Melach or those who pray in the future whose sentiments Davar Melach prophetically echoes would be praying for themselves. Instead, the prayers have to be Laman achai Let us think of our neighbors and our friends. Let us think of Am Yisrael as our neighbors' friends, brothers or brethren. Because when we have that kind of perspective, then our prayers for Yerushalayim can be meaningful. And those are the prayers, and those are the sentiments, that will, with God's help, restore us to the city of Yerushalayim. That's what's standing in the way of Mashiach's coming. Now, all of this is about David HaMelech praying. The brethren the brotherly love, the togetherness, the concern for the welfare of others, whether it's the upper classes of the nation of Israel, those who actually live in the city of Yerushalayim and populate the Beis HaMikdash, whether we speak about the entire nation, whether these are prayers that David HaMelech offered up prior to the building of the Beis HaMikdash for a future reality that he could envision, or whether David HaMelech is talking about a distant reality, about exiles, about an aching yearning to return, and that those prayers would always be best or most efficacious if offered on behalf of others. So this is all on a literal level, as we say, a a literal understanding of Loman Achai V'Jayai. However, my dear friends, if we are to be fair about understanding these verses, we're going to have to travel past the orbit of interpersonal relationship. Laudable as it might be that a melech, that a king, is thinking of citizenry. Praiseworthy as it is that exiles think not of their own aching loneliness or distance, but rather, the truth is that the brothers or brethren, that the friends or neighbors being referenced in this psalm are not talking about. A kinship between people, but rather a sibling kind of relationship between us, the nation of Israel, and Almighty God Himself. Does that sound unreasonable? Well, consider this. I'm going to introduce you to a slew of sources, and you'll hear source after source, about this unique sibling relationship, or at least the frame or terms of a brotherly connection between us and the Creator. And of course, that has to be understood. I can wrap my head around King David, my king caring about me and choosing to see me as his brethren. I'm honored by it. How could that be appropriate when we're talking about God? So let's begin by actually looking at the sources. and I'll try and quote them for you in an accurate fashion. We're going to begin by taking a look at Masecha's Kaabasi. This is found in the fifth chapter. And the second halacha, Meseches Kaler Abassi, is one of those minor tractates that didn't make it into the big leagues Talmud, but it's the teachings of our sages, it's accurate, it's the real stuff. So Matthew is talking about um, Israel being unified into Hashem's oneness. And you're not wrong, Matthew, but um, there's, there's more to it, of course, there's It's both is true. Anything is possible if we achieve oneness on two levels. And the two levels are, number one, oneness with each other. And number two, that leads us into oneness with God. But the truth is, it all begins with a sense of oneness with yourself. But you have to put that on the back burner for now. So let's talk sources. Mesech has kalad Rabbi Meir, Omer, Rabbi Meir taught, Kol haosek Anybody who engages in the study of Torah, lishma, for its sake, zochel harbei, merits many things. There's a very similar Mishnah in Perki Avot. However, in Meseches Kaler it finishes off by enumerating something that is not found in the Perki Avot. It says, nikra Reya, he's called a friend, or a neighbor, to God's presence. How could you call a person a friend of God? He says, Well, I didn't call it the scripture. King David calls it. Now, from the read in Misech Kala, from the teaching of Rabbi Meir, it's pretty clear that when they looked at this verse, they didn't see King David considering us his brethren. He saw God considering us His brethren. In other words, that David HaMelech's statement is actually echoing the words and encouragement that Hashem, God Himself, offers to us. Here are the words of the Mechilta the de Rebbe Yishmael. It's in the third parsha. It says, and I quote, ben Oimer Kfar I have already written Achletzara What does this mean? This is a verse that is found in the book of Proverbs. In the seventeenth chapter of Proverbs, chapter 17, verse 17, the Posak. Says, The friend, the real friend, he loves you at all times. Which means a true friend loves a person regardless of their situation. You love them because you love them, not because they're rich or famous, successful or able to do something for you. If you really love them, then you love them because they are your friend. One who is friendly to another only when they are successful, or what's called in English a fair-weather friend, isn't really a friend. And a brother is born for adversity. For tzara. For difficulty. In other words, in times of troubles, a person who truly acts as a brother, that's your real friend. That's your ach. That's your brother. Because, you know, the The fair-weather friends, when you're in times of trouble, the acquaintances, they disappear quite abruptly. Why would they get involved with your problems? That's not my issues. You got issues. Deal with your own issues. Leave me out of it. And that, of course, is (laughs) extremely problematic. So the Mechilta says, Och is actually a reference to God himself. And the reference is this. Ani li Yisrael b'sha'as achim. I am for the people of Israel, God says, they are for me brothers. are tzarosim when they are having trouble, Elo Yisrael. This is the Jewish people. This is the nation of Israel, and that is the meaning of the word Lamanach. Every day, God says, "For the sake of my brothers, for the sake of my brethren, for the sake of my friends." So let's assume the Radak's approach to this, or perhaps even more so, the Mitzudas David's approach to this. The Mitzudas is saying that Hashem is praying on behalf of the exiles when we have sinned, when we are soiled. Soiled with our sins, when we are exiled from our land, when we're not successful, when we're having tsarot, God is there for us. God says, I have not abandoned the Jewish people. No matter how far they've fallen, I remain with them. I'm a brother, not a friend, a brother, mm-hmm. brethren. So that's the meaning of Laman achevere, according to the Mechilta. The Rabbi Yishma. Now, we have another fascinating expression. And this actually is found in the Gemara in the Talmud Bavli. Only the Gemara doesn't say it openly, as you'll see in a moment. The Gemara is going to allude to this. Rashi is going to interpret the Gemara as such. Misech Shabbos da from page 31, side A, right in the middle of the page, the Gemara says, rabbis There was a story about a Gentile fellow. He came to the great sage Shammai, who is extremely measured, precise, and exacting, and he said, Shammai. He said, Sorry, I, I skipped a word over here. Uh, There's a number of different conversations that happen in the Gemara. I'm skipping ahead a few lines. Convert me. Bring me under the proverbial opinions of the shchina of God's presence as a Jew, but on one condition. You teach me the Torah When I'm standing on one foot. And even if you're a yogi. How long can you stand on one foot for? So Shammai was not impressed. He felt this fellow was disrespectful. He used a yardstick to push him away. He had a yardstick in hand. He pushed him away with it. Then the same man came to Hillel. And he said. So. Convert me. But that's my condition. Omar lay. Hillel responded to him and said, What you detest, don't do to your friend. What does that mean? So Rashi tells us, Aha, you want to know what that means? All of Yiddishkeit is don't do to your friend what you yourself detest. For this you must take a look in the 27th chapter of Proverbs. In Mishlei, there it says, "This is Mishlei Yud Pasuk Yud." It says, "Re'acha, the Avicha al which literally translates as, "Do not forsake your friend or your father's friend." Don't forsake your friend; stay faithful. So Rashi says, "Who is that talking about? Who is your friend?" Who is your father's friend? Is Kodesh Baruch? This is God. You want to know what the essence of Judaism is on one foot? Simple. Al Don't contravene God's instructions. When you give instructions, you don't like being ignored. Don't ignore God. In other words, what Hillel said to this fellow is, you want to know what Judaism is? The man said, I'm looking for inspiration. I'm looking for kindness and sensitivity. I'm looking for spirituality. I'm looking for community and communion. Hillel said, it's very simple. You want to be Jewish? Follow orders. Do exactly what God wants you to do. Don't ignore God. That's very simple. You like when people ignore you? You like when your requests are not responded to? Don't do that to God. If God made requests, which is what a mitzvah says, God gave us instructions, do what He said. <laughs> it's like, you want Judaism on one foot? Do what the Torah says, do what God says. But here, Rashi explains the words of Hillel by virtue of the statement made in Proverbs. And once again, we have God being called our friend. <inaudible> Rashi says. That's the literal meaning. Now, Rashi does introduce. A secondary meaning as well, but it's telling and extremely compelling that the first explanation of Hillel's words referred to God as a friend. So it can't be that foreign. This is the way Rashi is explaining the Gemara. The words that Rashi says can best be understood if we actually take a look at the Medrash. Because the Medrash Rabba is where we find this teaching and the explanation of Re'acha, the the Re'ah vicha Medrash Rabbah, the opening teaching on Parshat Yisro. The Medrash says, and Yisro, Jethro heard. What did he hear? What moved, what impelled Jethro to come to the desert and join the Jewish people? So the Medr says Yisro's behavior can be encapsulated by the words found in Proverbs 27, Reavicha, al Do not abandon your brother, your neighbor, your friend. Do not abandon the friend of your father. Reachov Zeha Kodishbarhu. Your friend, that's God. How do we know that? Well, it says it in Psalms. Psalms 122. Laman achai verei. That's God speaking to the Jewish people. And he says, I will grant Yerushalayim peace. Not for Yerushalayim, for you. For the sake of Israel. What's Rea of Vicha? What's the, so to speak, friend of your father? Zavrom. This is Zavrom. In other words, the passage, the verse is saying, do not abandon God, who is your friend, and God, who is the friend of your father, your father, Avraham. As it says, Zera Avraham, O the seed, the progeny of Avraham, my beloved. And this is what makes us so special. And then the Midrash goes on to say, and you think by abandoning God and going elsewhere, it'll go well for you? Think again. God's not going to let you disappear on Him. He's not going to allow you to turn your back on Him. He'll bring you home by hook or by crook. Stay with your real friends. The others offer all kinds of salvation. They are not your true friend. Hashem says, I am. I've been loyal to you. Be loyal to me. So once again, we see this idea of God framed as a friend. And it sounds, of course, very strange. It sounds very strange. There's a statement which is made in the Talmud Yerushalmi. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty, uh, as they say, straight-up statement. In which we hear the Yerushalmi says... Shimon bin Lakish, Yesh Le a human being. Let's talk in uh, you know human terms. He's got a relative. Asher, if his relative is rich, who made the bay? He says, Oh yeah, that rich guy is my cousin. Imhaya Ani, if he is impoverished, then Ani doesn't just mean with money. He's a sick puppy. He's, a, he's missing the very essence of what life's about. He's impoverished in every sense. I don't know who this guy is. God is loyal to us. Even if we find ourselves in the lowest rungs of deprivation. He still calls us his brothers, his brethren, his friend. In other words, this is an incredible pledge of loyalty from Hashem to the Jewish people. Hashem says, even when you are in exile in the most wretched, distant, depraved, and, 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 and disconnected way, despite it all, even when you've been cast off to the remotest corner, so to speak, of the planet, I continue to seek out your welfare. I'm praying for Jerusalem. You. So God always cares about us and is always, so to speak, seeking out our peace. This is this is the way we view Hashem's special relationship with us. But we're using the terms of of friends, of neighbors, of brethren, brothers, companions. It's very strange. How could you use this kind of terminology? How could we be like sibling to Hashem? So when we use the terminology of being a child of Hashem, the child receives from his parents. The child comes from his parents. We come from Hashem. We receive from Hashem. Even when we use the terminology of spousal relationship with God. So traditionally, the male-female dynamic is seen as benefactor-recipient. And this is perhaps best highlighted or seen most clearly when we talk about the most important thing any man or woman can do together. That's to build a marriage and have children, have a family. The male contributes, the female absorbs, receives, and develops. So this is our relationship with Hashem. Hashem gives us, He seeds us, He gives us the basic building blocks. It's our job, it's our task to develop and to nurture, to turn what Hashem gives us into sublime holiness. And He gives us instructions and wherewithal and empowerment. But the, 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 the idea that we should be in this, so to speak, metaphorical spousal relationship is not that difficult to wrap one's head around. The parable can easily be depicted. But when we talk about like a sibling, we're, we're brothers. Brothers means we come from the same source. Siblings are from the same parents. Brethren, there's a sense of equality. How could we speak in terms of equal pascal when we're talking about God? It's a good question. It's such a good question. The Al Rebbe himself asked this question. There's a fascinating mimer from the Alta It's a, in a fascinating book, which is called Maimori Admur My Maimori Razal. Different s- s- sayings or statements made by our sages. And the Alta offers Hasidic mystical insight into conundrums that rise from the words of the Mishnah, the Talmud, the Medrash, the teachings of our sages. So here on page 291, Reish Sadiq Aalaf, he says like this. It's written, It says, It says that, That we are brethren, Brothers, companions, neighbors to God. So he says, First of all, you have to know that not everybody is, This is not every single person. This is, This is the very lofty souls. How does the Alter Rebbe know this? So first of all, I don't know how he knows it. But, but the truth is, I found a statement from our sages that backs this up. There's a Tonad ve'aliyo that says that that those who engage in or literally make Hashem's Torah each day, they make Hashem's Torah their life, they are recalled by Hashem So according to the Tonad ve'aliyo, He's talking about the loftiest of souls. But the problem, the problem is that when we learn the Mepharshim, we're talking about the exiles. All of Israel. The most distant neshama. So, so how does that work? Okay, so the al Rebbe says, uh, on a literal level, if you want to talk about Dov and him, talk about his brethren, you can talk about everybody. Talk about the whole Jewish people. want to talk about God, and God calling the Jewish people my siblings, my buddy, my companion, you're talking about the very lofty souls. The souls of, like the patriarchs, the souls of what's called Zion Royim, these proverbial shepherds who continue to provide nourishment and inspiration, empowerment, guidance, and energy to other neshamas. for posterity. So he says, okay, and I I understand, we're talking about very lofty souls, It's it's all very nice, but he says, how could you use Brotherly terminology, sibling terminology. Abichinas neshama hapratius. Once a neshama is developed, once it assumes a particular form, once it's the neshama of Avram, which is saturated in Chesed energy, or once it's the neshama of Yitzchak, that is pointedly, so to speak, on a path of gevura, of severity, of judgment, of 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 exacting precise and an extremely demanding service to Hashem, it's a specific neshama. So once it's been distilled into something specific, it's no longer a part of God. When it's a part of God, you only see godliness. When you're able to identify or separate it from godliness, even if all of that is within the frame of God, even if within the frame of divinity, there is chesed and gvura, which are polar opposites. But you take a look at the sun. The sun is filled with rays, filled with radiance, but you don't see radiance in the sun. All you see a Sun. It's only when the rays are, 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 so to speak, projected forth from the sun, it's only when they're very distant from the sun, that you could start to identify different elements within the rays. So once a neshama is already identified as an entity unto itself, it's no longer ochevere, it's not a brother, it's not sibling, it's not one with God anymore. Now it's already separate. So, how could you use that language then? Once he is a created entity, once he is defined in a specific way, he is no longer godly, because godliness is inclusive of everything. You can't, you can't limit God in any way, shape, or form. Godliness can be distilled into a specific, unique kind of expression. So, How then can we use terminology that sounds brotherly, brethren? Equal Hashem makes himself an on equal footing of, of achus of brother like, like brotherhoods how could that be? The mashman mahaloshan that's that's the intimation of the words that's that's what the words in Hebrew mean, like an ach meshtava. So said, What does this mean? How do, how, how we to understand it? After all, he says, when we talk about brothers, we're talking about, or siblings, we're talking about entities. Let's talk about people who come from the same parents, who have a common source, and there's no difference between them, inherently. So, you tell me there's no difference between the source, between God himself, and then between the shamas, which are created from godliness? Lofty Devoted, subservient, sacred as they may be. They're still ultimately separated from Hashem. So how do you call them? Achva. So the Altar Rebbe sets off to explain the concept of the Arjan, a source of all shamas, and he highlights the distinction between souls and between angels. He says angels come from an external expression of divinity. The language he uses here is something called chitzniyus akelim and penimiyus akelim. Literally, the outer side of an envelope, or, or or a mechanism, or the inner rhythm, the inner the inner, so to speak, uh, part of it. What what, what what does this mean? So one of the metaphors that's brought in Chasidus is the difference between words that are spoken and words that are thought. So words that are spoken are once they're spoken, they're already spoken. That's it. The word is the word is out. You know, like in the cartoons, people speak a word that they show you, like the word is separated. The the words are the words, is what it is. But when a person is thinking, not just thinking what to say, when a person is actually thinking, and we use language to think. So this is dynamic. This is an expression of self. And as your mind is thinking, as your mind is wandering, you know, one thought begets another, and they cascade one after the other. It's not like words. It's not, there's less limitation. That's what we call the inner energy. So if you wanted to talk about articulation as a vehicle, as, a, as an envelope, as a convention of, of in which one articulates the deepest inner consciousness and awareness, there's a big difference between language as it's being thought of, the language that's used in thought, or the language that's employed in speech. And the says that a metaphor for this idea could be seen even in a graphic way where the limbs are separate from the consciousness. But at the same time, a person's limbs behave in consonance with consciousness in a manner that you cannot really detect any separation between the two. The and the will, is so powerfully connected to the whole body that the body acts in perfect synchronicity with what the will wants. So you can't really see a difference between the limbs and between the consciousness or the will-desire of a person because the body moves instantaneously in keeping with the will of the person. So much so that it could even, and it is even, oftentimes subconscious. It's called body language. And body language is oftentimes not choreographed or even learnt. It's a natural thing. This is what the communication experts talk about as leakage. They say, if... You're not trying to hide or conceal what's inside. You're going to be leaking it all over the place. Your body is acting it out. When people are defensive, they will assume a certain stance. When people are open, you'll know it from their body language. And they, didn't, and they weren't trying to project in a particular way. They weren't trying to convey something specifically. But the fact is that everything from facial expression to the movement of hands and torso is directly linked to what's going on inside the person. And al Alta says this is like a metaphor. The body is separate. It's not consciousness. But they seem to be in perfect synchronicity. And this he says perhaps is the way we can understand the concept of a sibling reality with God. Not that we are God, chas v'shalom. Not that the holiest souls are God. But the souls that are so holy, so close to God, that what they do is but an expression of God's will. Now, interestingly enough, it actually says this about the avas. The Zohar says that the avot were like a merkava. A merkava is literally a vehicle. So... The wheels are going to go whatever direction the driver is taking them. The vehicle doesn't have a will of its own. The vehicle becomes an extension of whoever is driving the vehicle, much like the body becomes an extension of the consciousness, the thought and the awareness, the desire of the person who inhabits or is embodied in that terrestrial fashion. So this is the meaning of oneness with God. And here's the thing. We seem to be speaking about achai varei, leman achai at the same time, we seem to be speaking about beis Hashem as if the two are somehow linked. They are. Here's a beautiful teaching from the middle Rebbe, the second Rebbe of the Chabad dynasty, the Alter Rebbe's eldest son. This mimer is in a, a book of Hasidic discourses called Torah Chaim. It covers the parshiot of Bereshit, the book of Bereshit and the book of Shemot. And in the Mimer and Terus Chaim on parashat Truma, the Mittler Rebbe talks about the imagery of the Cherubim. And this is based on teachings of the Altar Rebbe, which are ultimately rooted in teachings of the Baal Shem Tov, which are explanations of the words of our sages, that the cherubim represent the idea of Am Yisrael and Hashem in this, like, sibling fashion. Because they're ponim el ponim, in the language of Kabbalah, when Zoh and Malchus are eye to eye, rather than, they have a lateral relationship, rather than a vertical relationship. They're not receiving, but they're on an equal footing, on the same cover of the ark. From there come the cherubim and they're embracing. So, in order to understand this better, the Mittler Rebbe says, let's go to Psalm 122. Uh-huh, Aha, that's good for us. He's going to talk about Laman achaivere Verea, Dabrna Sholenbach. And he says, Mashma, the intimation of this verse, is not only that the holiest of tzaddikim, and the most rarefied of souls can be referred to in sibling syntax, but rather the you Yisrael, the source of all souls of Israel. Perhaps not you and me as we appear in this particular embodied iteration, but at our source, all souls are called And he says, this is a pillar. The gulf between creator and created, finite and infinite, is in, unbridgeable. It's a gap that can never be closed. What does it mean that we are on a sibling or equal footing? What is that even? How could you even use this kind of terminology? And he says, why do we follow right away with... In the middle of the Rebbe goes on to, to say to us like this. He says you should know whether when a Jew came to the Beit HaMikdash, he was elevated to his or her zenith of their spiritual potential. And therefore, when a Yid came to the Beit HaMikdash, which is called Toiv, beis Hashem that a, a person became absorbed into the oneness of God they would shed their own individuality, they would shed their self-interest, and then the Neshama would be able to express itself in the purest the most innocent of ways. So much so, they would feel a sense of rapture, a sense of ecstasy, a sense of literally melting into divinity, into godliness. And he says, When can the Jewish people attain this level, this cherub-like level of proverbial equality, oneness with God, it's, Hashem when we have the base of Migdash. But, ha-galut, in the time when we are exiled, and exile is not only a geographic thing, it represents a state of spiritual and material being. We don't have Elokeinu, so what happens then? Then Eretz Yisrael, then the land of Israel is not as it should be and as such B'nai Yisrael are not as they should be and we cannot be called Ochei however he says there is a verse in the scripture that says and it means who will allow me to be as a brother this is a posse in the beginning of the 8th chapter if only I could be like a brother and he says this is what's being spoken about during the time of Galut so the Jewish people yearn for that closeness with Hashem but he says, that's unreasonable how in the time of Galut when you don't have a Beit HaMikdash could you have that kind of closeness and it says that this is the meaning of a famous statement which is made in the Gemara Masechet Basha that says that since Hashem's holy house has been destroyed, and since the holy of holies is no longer, and there are no longer any cherubim that we can see, since then, <speaking in Hebrew> the strictures of Jewish law, the halakha, that's where God is to be found. And the Middle Rebbe goes on to explain that when a person studies Torah, so much so that he connects to the essence of the Torah's message, and he's able to translate the the, the theory and the concept from an abstraction into a practical, real-time lesson. What you're supposed to do, what the halacha is. He says, in doing so, even in the time of Galut, a Jew can find himself in the holy of holies. A person can achieve oneness with Hashem. He can assume the role of the cherubim themselves. And this is the prayer. Laman achai Verei. Dovod HaMelech then is speaking, but he's echoing divine sentiment. Hashem looks at us like His brethren. And Hashem is calling to us. And Hashem is praying on our behalf. For the city of Yerushalayim can only be restored when we become one with Hashem. As they say, my dear friends, One leads to the other. And I want to wrap up today's class with a beautiful teaching that I found in the Meam Lois. It's, I believe, from the Sefer called Keflayim Leteshia. He says, how do we understand all this? Everything we just talked about, God is our sibling and we're yearning for closeness. Like, What what does it mean? And, And why is that the way King David finishes his prayers for Jerusalem? If I pray for Jerusalem, I pray for Jerusalem. Why is it so important for me to pray for Jerusalem by thinking of the welfare of others and praying for (laughs) Ahai So he says like this. Perhaps all of this can be understood by means of a simple parable. (laughs) Moshe l'mo hadavar daima. Let me tell you what this is like, he says. Think of it this way. Adam Shaasa Binyan The person built an enormous tower. the and he calls a carpenter, a builder, and he says, "I want you to fix steps. Don't you create a staircase, be a spiral. I don't know. Find me a, a, a way. Steps for me to be able to climb the tower." He looked at the height of this tower. Now this is before the days of elevators. Try to think about that at a literal level. Actual steps. And he said, How am I ever going to reach the top? He said, It's very high. So the person who saw the services said, "Look, Am I asking you to start in the top? Let's start the climb from below. Let's start from below. and we'll move. Vitala, we'll move up. mila, step by step. And eventually we'll reach the top of the tower. And he says, here is the metaphor. This is the message. Im writes in Lizgais bis if we want to merit peace, we all crave peace. We're aching for an end to Galut, for a restoration of Yerushalayim, for the coming of Mashiach. He says, you all want this. So if you want the coming of Mashiach, you've got to start from the ground zero. You start from the basement. First of all, be at peace with yourself. Instead of having fragmentation, instead of having disorientation, create a balance and a synergy. Know who you are, know what you want, what you're trying to accomplish. Create peace within yourself. Your own inclination, behavior, or emotions should not be in a state of disunity. Create inner peace. As we talked about in the previous episode, inside peace. And that you're at peace with yourself. So then, Beket of Bnei Senu get into a state of peace with your own loved ones, with your family. You know, I don't know if this is true, but I once heard that most people who belittle or bully others do so because they lack self-esteem. They're not at peace with themselves. So to make themselves feel better, it's almost like self-medicating. They abuse others to make themselves feel comfortable. If it's true, it's like a, it's a stunning concept. This is, according to the Keflayim Leteshia, this is what's going on here. You want peace in Yerushalayim, Sha'alushloim Yerushaloyim. You want serenity for her lovers, Yishlo'i Ahavoyich. We said, Yehi Shalom Bechelech, Sha'avob Amrinesoyich. There should be peace in your environs, in your palaces they can fly on Letitia, that's why we follow up with the words, Laman, no Are you at peace with God? Do you feel that sibling relationship? Are you living in consonance with the will of Hashem? Or do you have inner struggles and demons and issues? You need to overcome that. And you need to be at peace with Hashem and at peace with yourself. And once you're at peace with yourself, then you can radiate that outward, to be at peace with the members of your family. And if you're at peace with your own family, you can be at peace with your community. And then, then we're reaching a level of peace on a more broad and encompassing fashion. And then we can say to Baini Sim bring us peace. Right as it says, Bless us, because We're at peace with each other. And he says that's also the meaning of the verses we said before. We spoke about, We talked about chayel as a wall, as a, as a rampart of sorts. He says the word chayel can also come from the word strength, like Chayil. And he says, Sim shalom Be at peace with yourself. Make peace within your own inner strengths, with your own inner abilities. And then that bring it down to Amarnasech, your palace, as a euphemism for the house you live in. As they say, every man is a king in his castle. Your castle, your palace, your house, your family, your loved ones. shalom and then, says the flying, the Shia. then you can have Then you can speak in an altruistic kind of way. Then you can pray on behalf of others, for brothers, for brethren. And you can seek out the peace of all people. You made peace with yourself. You're at peace with your family. You're at peace with your community. You live with a sense of love and care and concern for Am Yisrael. Ah, now we've arrived. Now we can expect and ask that Hashem Rebuild as holy as house Hashem should be good to us Give us goodness Rebuild the Beis Hamigdash This is the coming of Mashiach Or as the Tnufa Chayim, Also cited by the Ba'amloi says It is through peace That the temple That the temple will be rebuilt And that's the meaning of Luman Achai Vreya. That's the emphasis here. My brethren, my brothers, my friends, my neighbors, my companions. Mm -hmm. That we have to work on creating peace amongst each other. U'bazeh. And then, Avakshat Evloch. Then we can ask for goodness. Then it will be good for Yerushalayim. In other words, my friends, this idea of Yerushalayim and its oneness has to be implemented in a very personal level. And we radiate from within out. This is why David Hamelach, when praying for Yerushalayim taught us that the prayers must be altruistic. That whether it is the Bnei HaGoyle, the exiles who are praying and shouldn't focus on their own pain, but rather the aching yearning that is felt by their brethren, the nation of Israel. Whether it is David Hamelach praying in his time for the people he knew it wasn't for himself. And this Dov tells beautifully into the opening teachings of this very psalm. Where we say. the Melch would hear people saying. When is it old man going to die? When will I be able to go. To base Hashem Alekenu. That was the opening volley. Of this extraordinary psalm. Beis Hashem David Melch didn't get offended. He said that's good. They want to be in Hashem's house. That's a good thing. King David. Became a paradigm. self-transcendence, we all need to try to be a little more like David HaMelech. And in our own small ways to radiate peace outwards from within to our families, to our communities, in all of our interactions, not to be conflict-driven, not to be, as they say, overly aggressive, but rather in a peaceful manner to be able to bring about a state of equilibrium and oneness. And with that free love, so to speak, with that embracing nature of being able to bring Am Yisrael together, we will be able to counteract the sinat chinam, the wanton hatred that caused the destruction of the Beis Migdash and the exile of Am Yisrael in this spirit, with Hashem's help, we will amenu very speedily and in our time be brought home to Yerushalayim to be in the city of oneness, in the third base of Mikdash, to feel that sense of kinship and oneness, to melt into God as it were. achai v'rei ma'kaddosh borchu the coming of Mashiach bimheira ubi amenu amen. Thanks for joining. I hope you found that uplifting, or at least inspiring. And again, I'm going to ask you, if you haven't, please subscribe, enable notifications, and spread the word to family, friends, and community. I look forward to seeing you back. Have a beautiful day.